Hi, my name is Gladys, and this is why I connect. Throughout my journey of growing and knowing Jesus more and knowing God, there's many things that happen. I grow throughout reading my, the scriptures, but there is something big, personally, of hearing God's miracle in a specific, and my brothers and sisters. Their struggles are different than mine, and just to hear how God works in their life is, is life-giving for me, for our family. The reason why we connect is to see God's stories in people's life, sharing a meal, sharing their joys of getting a house, sharing salad or tacos, preferably tacos. Over the past years, I've been learning what hospitality means for our family. My husband and I, we say, we have dinner every day. No matter what, we have to have dinner. Um, and the food tastes better when we share it. That's what we tell our kids. When we serve them, we are with them. We invite them to be part of this process of, you are home, come, we are a family. The idea of hospitality is inviting people into our life. It takes it takes ourselves out of the equation of impressing people, or it, it does. It just it takes the stress of people are coming over. We are not meant to be doing this alone, and it's worth it. It's worth it to invest, to share our life with others, and to invite other people to hear their stories. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm glad you're here. You know, um, as many of you are aware, uh, we're uh, in this series in which we're uh, exploring the question of why. You know, why um, we as a church, why we, uh, we as Christians do some of the things that, that we do. And, and so far we've talked, about, uh, we've talked about worship, the why, the when, the where, the how of it. Last Sunday we talked about Scripture and the important role that it plays uh, in our spiritual growth and development, which is why we teach it and study it. And today I want to I talk about this idea of connection, um, establishing meaningful uh, relationships with one another, especially uh, in the context of smaller communities uh, or in what we refer to here as life groups, groups that um, meet together um, uh, during the week, primarily in homes around our area. Now, as many of you may realize, the practice of meeting uh, in both large gather- gatherings like this uh, and in smaller relational environments is nothing new to the Christian church. The fact is that the small group concept essentially started with Jesus, right? originated with him. And he and his 12 disciples uh, exampled it. And, and then according to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 tells us the early church followed suit. And keep in mind, after the Apostle Peter's first official sermon uh, in the streets of Jerusalem, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus, 3,000 in one day. So you talk about church growth, it was huge. And we're told that following that event, all the believers were together. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Every day they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know, as I was rereading this account recently, I noticed three words in the text that I'd like to focus on for a few minutes because they reveal an awful lot about these early Christians What three words? These. Believers were together. Believers were together. Where were they together? Everywhere. 
in the temple courts, big, big group of people, lots of people, and then in homes around the city in smaller groups of people. When were they together? Uh, constantly, relentlessly. Every day, the text says, every day they were meeting together to do what? To study scripture, uh, to worship, to pray, to, to share their possessions, to share their homes, to share their meals, to share their lives, and to love and support and encourage one another. How were they together? They were together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God for his goodness and his grace. See, for these very first believers, the term together doesn't just describe what they did, but describes who they were, a together people. Before faith in Jesus, they were apart. Now they're together. Before faith in Jesus, they were individuals. Now they're a body. Before faith in Jesus, they were strangers, but now they're family. And getting together as much as possible was a whole new mode of existence for them. But you know what? You couldn't keep them apart. And understand, they didn't meet together in response to some command or, or religious obligation. They didn't, they didn't come out of tradition or, or ritual or out of some kind of sense of civic duty. They came together in response to the new life they experienced and shared in Jesus. Which tells us from its, that from its very beginning... Biblical Christianity is not and never has been some isolated individualistic deal. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you become part of a community. You become part of a together people, a body, a family. And if you lack a desire for that togetherness, I'd suggest there's something wrong. It could be you're just struggling in your, in your, in your spiritual life, but I tell you, remaining isolated doesn't help. Or perhaps you haven't really experienced faith in Jesus. Because if and when you do, it changes things. It changes us. It'll change you. Now I realize that if you've, you've run in church circles for any length of time, you've probably, you've probably heard or read this account of believers meeting together before, you know, in the big group in the temple and then in homes uh, in, throughout Jerusalem. But there's something that's often overlooked about what was happening in Jerusalem that was, that was quite significant. I mean, who were these people? Say, well, they're believers in Jesus. Yes, but who exactly were they? It's important to remember, it wasn't, it wasn't a normal Jerusalem crowd that Peter spoke to. It was festival time in Jerusalem. It was a time when God-fearing men and women from all over the ancient world descended on the city. Thousands and thousands would come for the, for the uh, celebration. In fact, earlier in chapter 2, we're given a description of the crowd he spoke to. We're told that it was made up of Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. Or, in more contemporary terms, it means that there were, think about this, there were Asian, African, Arabian, Greek, Libyan, Roman, Jewish and Gentile men and women from all over the region. You know, all from different races, different cultures, different languages, different social strata, different social traditions. I mean, it was a vastly diverse crowd of people out of which 3,000 come to faith in Jesus. And most of us, you know, when we we hear that account, we read the account in Acts 2, the number 3,000 is what grabs our attention. We're like, wow, that's incredible. And it was. But that, what's even more amazing, what's really even more miraculous, is how all of these men and women who lacked common race, language, culture, class, education, etc., 
they come to Jesus and immediately, immediately are together in homes of resident Jerusalem believers every night. They're all together. Despite their obvious differences, they're all together. And I tell you what, it must have been uh, uncomfortably crowded in those homes because they weren't big. I've been in old, the city, old Jerusalem city. The, the, town, the, 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 the homes were not big, and there was a lot of people to accommodate. But it, that didn't matter to the believers. What matters is that they were together. Unity and diversity. And when you think about it, you know, the, 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 those Jewish Christians, uh, the Jerusalem Christians, that is, they de- demonstrated some pretty radical hospitality. You know, something the Apostle Paul would eventually call all uh, Christians in the church to. Uh, in his letter to Romans, uh, Roman Christians later on, he said, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, and he said, practice hospitality. All of you practice hospitality. In the Greek term, we translate hospitality as the term philoxenia, which literally means to love strangers or to entertain strangers. Most of the time when we think, most of the time we think of hospitality, we think of, of it as you know, just having some friends that we like and family over for dinner, but the biblical term actually means to welcome strangers into our homes so that they feel loved, cared for, nurtured, valued, and accepted. The space doesn't need to be huge or gorgeous or perfect. The, the beauty and power, you see, is found in the welcome. In fact, in this Acts 2 account, we're told believers were together in the temple and homes praising God and what? Enjoying the favor of all the people of Jerusalem. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. You realize that what, what that means, don't you? It means that people were coming to faith in Jesus not because of the church's impressive facility, not because of religious programming or evangelistic strategies. No, no, no. People were finding Jesus because of the undeniable and radical manner in which this, this racially, culturally, socially diverse group of men and women loved and welcomed not only one another into their lives and homes, but complete strangers into their homes. Out-of-towners, people who were very different from them. And given that the number of believers was growing, in fact, 2,000 people come to faith shortly after this, more and more homes were needed, and apparently more and more were open to accommodate these new believers. And it was like nothing the world had ever seen before, nothing like it. People were blown away by it, how these Christians, you know, their unity, their togetherness, despite racial, cultural, social differences. It was amazing to people. It was appealing to people. You know, the love, the welcome, the, the, the care that was expressed. And so when, when, when people in the church were asked, what's, what's this all about? Christians could, could say, it's not the what, it's the who. Jesus. And I tell you what, I can't, I can't think of anything more relevant to our day and time as this idea of connection and specifically of radical unity. I think most of us are, are, are quite aware that we live in a, a very fractured culture, one divided by race, class, economics, and politics. Over the last few months, I've heard more people say, I had no idea how divided our country is. And it is. We can't even talk about our differences civilly anymore. That at times can be true in the church. You know, we, we divide over petty differences insignificant things. And yet here in Acts chapter 2, we have people who were even more diverse 
instantly becoming unified and welcomed into the homes of strangers. And for the Jerusalem Christians who were opening the homes and hosting the groups, for them it was, it was about people, not preferences. It was, it was about caring for strangers, not comfort. It was about the cause of Jesus, not convenience. And make no mistake, the church's meeting in homes played a, a huge part in the spiritual growth of these new believers. Clearly, it played a role in the expansion of the church and the spread of the good news of God's grace in Jesus. And I was thinking about this, and I was wondering, what might happen in our city, or in our county, or in our nation, if Christians were once again seen as a remarkably diverse, yet loving, generous, radically hospitable community? Not only meeting together in one big group, but also in crowded homes where strangers are, are readily welcomed. And here's the deal. We, we at Parkview believe the example of the early church is one worth following. You know, this big meeting here once a week is important. It's, it is. It's needed. It's helpful. It's, it's, it's part of our, our spiritual growth. It's, it's a part of community, but it isn't full community it's because it's really not enough for us. Given the struggles of life, the challenges we face every week, the ups, the downs, the ins, the outs, the fact is we need more than this. We need togetherness. Not just with family and friends, but with strangers who are in need of belonging and growing. Now, when I first became a Christian, uh, outside believing in Jesus, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know anything about theology or, or being a Christian. I struggled for, for two years on my own, alone. And it wasn't until a friend of mine who was a little older who had become a Christian uh, before me uh, asked me to his life group. It's, it's then that things started to change for me. And I was the new guy. You know, I was the stranger who gets invited into this already well-established, crowded group of Christian men and women I remember sitting in the living room, it was like 20, 25 of us, and they welcomed me. They accepted me. They found room for me, the stranger. And it was the love and grace of those men and women that launched my spiritual growth. And I tell you what, if it weren't for that group, I'm not sure I would be here today. I'm, I'm totally serious. I'm not sure I'd be here for one for them. And so my experience with those people, their openness to me, has given me an appreciation for the power and impact life groups can have on a person and the role that they play and the role they've always played in the spiritual health of the church. And certainly I'm not the only one who feels that way. In fact, I'm going to invite Kim Whetstone, our discipleship pastor, to join me up on the, up on the stage uh, along with a number of people whose, life, uh, whose lives and, and families have been impacted by the life group experience. So I'd like to encourage you to welcome them up on the platform. Thank you guys for being here. Kim, thanks for bringing the tribe with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes, we travel together in groups. Yes. Absolutely, all the time. (laughs) Um, No, we are so glad that you're here this morning, and it really is my hope that at the end of this morning, after hearing a little bit more about groups, that you would feel a nudge in that direction if you are not engaged in community. And it's also my hope that you leave here this morning understanding that groups ministry at Parkview, life groups, are a place for everyone. Whatever your age is, wherever you are in your faith journey, if you're here asking questions, if you're someone who has walked away from the church, or if you feel like you're in a time of exponential growth in your faith, wherever you're at, 
Uh, you are welcome, and we would long for you to join a life group. But what I've, who I've brought with me today are some of my good friends who have played different roles in life groups. They've been members, they've been leaders, and so we've invited them to share a little bit with you about life groups at Parkview. Now, my friend Gladys over here, uh, this past fall was her first time leading a life group at Parkview. And she happened to pull together what is the most diverse life group at Parkview. There are over eight nationalities represented in at least four languages spoken within this life group. And it's so interesting because one of the things I commonly hear uh, that's really a reflection of our American culture is people say, my group needs to be just eight to ten people and let's just keep it there. Um, and Gladys opened her home up to 40 people every week. That is 20 children um, and about 20 adults every single week. And she did it with a sense of joy and she did it with a sense of care. And you know what? Um, she did it being totally at peace with pictures hanging a little bit crooked on the wall and there being some spots on the couch. So Gladys, why is it that you opened up your home and took this journey to lead a life group? Well, if I'm honest, before I sign up, if I knew it was going to be 40 people, probably will say, no way. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way that in our 1960 ranch uh, will fit all those many people. But it works. It worked. Um, we don't have an open concert <laughs> or anything like that. Um, and yes, it was loud and messy. I am glad we did it. I am glad we did it. What do you think comes from that noise, that chaos, that loudness and messiness? What do you think is the benefit of that? It's real life. <laughs> it's real life. I think all of us that are raising children or not, uh, when you see someone, you invite someone to your home and to your real life in moving all those books off the couch or, <laughs> or helping you to finish the salad or you immediately, they feel part of your family. They feel welcome. They're, they're part of this. They're not being served. We are serving to them. Mm -hmm. um, you have shared with me a little bit of the story of your time growing up and how your mom impacted your view of community. So can you share with me a little bit about that, the role that your mom had in shaping your understanding of community? So I'm from the Dominican Republic, and... There, the biggest meal of the day was, is at noon. Um, and I remember my mom uh, in our neighborhood. Not everybody has the same privilege of having three meals a day. And I remember my mom just sending me every time when we have the rice and beans, just send them out. Can you take this to the neighbor's three doors? I remember being like, well, what about me? I need to eat first. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, so we're going in the middle of the heat of the Caribbean, just, which right now sounds really good. <laughs> just delivering meals around to our neighbors. And um, as a 12-year-old, selfish 12-year-old, I didn't think that was a good thing, but I think that was a big impact in my life. One of the things that Gladys has shared with me before is that her mom said, there's always enough rice for one more person. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, George Roach here is someone who has been in this life group journey uh, at Parkview from the beginning. And he is an individual who has created more groups than any other person at Parkview. And I was trying to do a count the other day and just figure out by the number of groups that have been split off 
and leaders that he has discipled and equipped and sent out, the number of members who have been impacted by that and who he's had a hand in helping them grow their faith. And I'm thinking that we're somewhere between 60 and 80 people who have been impacted by George's equipping and sending people. Um, but can you tell me a little bit more about that? What has it been like? Because your group has gone through uh, struggles with children, struggles with finances, divorce, a number of, of big things, but yet even in that, you've opened your group up to other people and you've also multiplied it at the same time. Sure. It's, it's really not easy. Um, it's not easy to uh, send out people that you've poured into and, and care for and love in order to, to lead, lead a group themselves. Um, I guess, I guess I just kind of picture it as if I really do care for these people and love them, that, that I know that the next step on their journey and the next step of their growth would be for them to, to step out and lead, lead a group on their own. And, um, and I think it's really selfish of, of me to say that we need to keep, keep this group all together. Um, I mean, I guess where would we be today if Jesus had said to the disciples, I'm going away, but you guys really have a good thing going on. I, I hope you guys really keep your, your group of, of these guys together. Um, but instead he said, go. And he, said, and he sent out the disciples and said, um, and they, they all built and, and established what we know of today as, as Christianity. And, um, and in that, I think the, the key is that as we, as we send people out, we, we wait until they're, they're ready and equipped. Um, and I think that's, that's one important piece is that they're, they're ready to go and ready to to be um, discipling those that, that they're going to come in into their group and those that are in there as well. But, but also I think part of the key is that those that, that remain, the core of, of what remains is a, a group that, that is open and, and ready to, um, to share, share the burden of the group and whatever issues that are going on in the group through, through job losses and marriage struggles and, and issues with kids – that, that it's not just viewed as, as the leader's responsibility. It's not just viewed as one person. It's, it's a, a shared responsibility and a shared, shared effort for, um, for walking through difficult times and a shared effort for celebrating the, the, uh, the good times as well. Thank you. Ken, you um, have been at Parkview for a little while now, and you and your wife have... Uh, become members of life groups. Can you tell me how being a member of a life group has impacted you? My name is Ken Flysack. My wife, Bert, and I have been coming to Parkview for a little over two and a half years. And um, looking back, I remember some of the first things we both experienced here. Um, first was the whole idea, the, the word grace and the deep, important meaning of it. And soon thereafter, we started looking around, and we started hearing pastors talking about the core values of the church. And when I think of life groups, one of the core values that definitely applies to life groups is better together. And we embrace the idea of opening ourselves up to being vulnerable to the idea of being better together with strangers. You know, we had some acquaintances but there's a difference between someone you see in a hallway and you smile and you say hello and they say, well, you know, how are you? And you say, well, you know, I've got a cold and I'm exhausted from work and then you pass by them. There's that. And then you, I think about the relationship that I hope and pray um, all of you have 
where you speak from your heart and you know the person you're speaking with is reciprocating. And so when this idea of joining a life group came up, we figured, okay, we, we love what we hear from Ray and the other pastors here on a, on a weekly basis. Let's give it a shot, be vulnerable, and go in and into it with an intention of being as real as we possibly can. And when we, had, when we got involved with our, our first life group, we met people that I think they came in with the same intention. And what a wonderful thing to um, have your vulnerability, your openness, talking about family problems, work problems, um, illnesses, um, and having people really listen compassionately. And then they share their own versions of the stories. That kind of thing. I, I can't think that there's a better way to form a basis for a relationship. And um, I think we all need that in life. Thank you so much, Ken. Um, Emily, I want to shift to you. Emily uh, has a bit of a wild group. Um, they are a fun group of people, and I have seen some video of some amazing, or at times less than amazing, dancing that took place at, at weddings um, from people in her life group. And so, um, we'll just suffice it to say that if I ever have to bribe Josh Afram, I think I'm, I'm pretty well set on that. But anyway, uh, moving along, um, when you moved here, you moved here from overseas, and you had some specific prayer requests uh, to God about moving to the States. Can you tell me about how the life group uh, served as part of God's answer to your prayers? Um, yeah, sure. So I'm Emily, and me and my husband, Scott, um, started coming to Parkview about two years ago. Um, we moved from the UK, and um, so one of my prayers moving over here was because I was so scared because I didn't have any friends over here, and um, I was just leaving behind some really great Christian friends, so I was praying that God would please give me good Christian girlfriends. Um, yeah, I was just so scared of not having good Christian girlfriends. And um, I remember just praying, like, even if it's just one good Christian girlfriend, um, yeah, please give me that. And I feel like God's really answered that prayer through our life group. Um, yeah, the girls in my life group are amazing. And um, I think I'm quite a private person, and I think it usually takes me a long time to make relationships. But um, life group's just the place where it's really easy and um, to be honest and let people in and I feel like that's helped me just make really good friendships really fast which has been a huge blessing and a really big answer to prayer. A couple years ago um, when Emily came she started off as a member of a life group and then transitioned to to leading a life group and um, she just shared with me last week um, some news which is a little sad for me but I feel excited for her uh, that she and her family will be moving back to England and um, I would like you just to share some of the thoughts that you shared with me around that because they were, they were very challenging to me as an American believer. Um, yeah, so Scott and I have been feeling this pull to move back to England over the last year. Um, and I think a big part of that is because my family are there and I really love them and I really miss them. Um, but um, it's just been a really hard decision to make because we really love living over here. Um, 
like it's very comfortable for us um i'm staying at home at the moment with our baby which i love and um we've got a nice house and um yeah it's just very comfortable and um but we just we have so many people back in england that we love um like a lot of friends and all my family that are not christians um and we just can't bear the thought of them not being in heaven we just yeah we just need to share the gospel with them what she shared with me the other day on the phone is she said we could stay here for 60 more years and we could stay with our life group who loves us and we would be very, very, very comfortable. Um, but she's willing to experience dif- discomfort and to give that up, uh, knowing that her life group will still love her and will, will still support her, but for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to lead others to Christ. I think that's absolutely amazing. And so... Um, George, you've been leading groups for a long time, and, um, you know, I've seen some pretty amazing things happen in your group. Life's transformed. I've also seen some amazing karaoke from you. Um, He gets full-on dancing and everything, like rock poses, just to let you know this. Some amazing fruit ninja. Um, But can you tell me, you know, we've discussed some of the more intimate and the serious things of life here. Um... But what are some of the fun reasons why people should connect in a life group? Well, I think I think that's really it. I think um, I think a lot of times we have we have an idea that the the life group, um, if you're not part of one, maybe you have a, a picture in your mind that all you do is sit around and just read and study the Bible. But it's really more um, just more the the life experience that you have with people and um, and. Kim mentioned karaoke. We have sung some karaoke, and uh, and just so you know, there's no danger of Donnie inviting me to be on the worship team. That that won't happen. <laughs> but but it is it is fun that you can you can sing some pretty awful karaoke and have people that you love around you, and it, and it's a good time. Um, and I think one of the one of the ideas too is that um, you know I kind of picture it as when when you're born, you you have a family, and in that family, you're you're uh, you're, you're born with, and good or bad, that's that's what you got. But your life group is sort of like your family that you choose. And um, I know when uh, when our daughter was was fairly young, um, a couple of years ago, she she was about three. We'd leave our life group, and she'd just be in tears, and um, and we'd say, "What what's going on?" She said, "Well, I miss my family." And hmm. and uh, we said, "Mom's here, Dad's here. What do you mean your family?" No. And then she'd start listing all the kids in our life group, and that was what she was referring to as her family. And just really that kind of aspect, um, you know, it's, it's the family that, that's going to come around you um, and family that, that is, is going to be there for you during um, your, your good times and your bad times and just, um, just really enjoy life together. So as I mentioned earlier, um, Gladys took on this amazing task of opening up her home to so many people. And some of the group members are in here today. And one of the things that um, has always struck me about Gladys, as I've known her for quite some time, is just her deep love and hospitality. And I have watched her um, pray over people in community. I have watched her laugh um, heartily with people in community. And I've also uh, watched her weep for those who don't have a place in community and who feel marginalized. And it is so much her heart to welcome everyone. And the last time I was at her house... um, I was a little bit of a creeper in that I took a picture that she wasn't aware of. 
<laughs> and um, I took a picture of a sign that she has hanging right by her door. And so you can see it as you come into her house. And it is most definitely the last thing you see as you are leaving the house. And for me, it just reminds me so much of our call as Christians to open our hearts, to open our doors to the stranger, and to impact our world for God's grace. It says this, Come at evening or at morning, come when expected or without warning. Thousands of welcomes you'll find here before you. And the oftener you come, the more we'll adore you. It is my prayer for each and every one of us as believers that when people look at our lives, that we will be known as people of radical love and of radical hospitality. People who say there's always rice for one more. People who are always opening our homes and our hearts and welcoming people for the cause of Christ. Can you go ahead and just um, thank these people on stage with me? I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Um, you know, as I think about this whole, this whole life group deal, and I, I look at the scriptures, and I see what happened in the early church uh, and with believers in Jerusalem and the diversity of the people and their willingness to invite strangers into their homes, you know, it's important we realize discipleship isn't just the dissemination of information. Biblical discipleship is about life. It's about doing life together. And the fact is, I, can't I alone cannot disciple 1,500, 2,000 people. I can't do it. Kim can't do it on her own. We can't do it together. We need all of us involved in the process. So we walk outside these, 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 these walls, and we meet again throughout the week to do life together to support and encourage one another. And what would happen if the, the people around us who, are, who don't know Jesus see that happening, see that kind of love and acceptance and grace and diversity, what might that do to them? What might that say about Christians to them? Maybe, maybe reorient their understanding of, of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So they're important to us. I hope you all will be involved. Maybe if you're not leading, you think about leading a group. But um, we're committed to it, and uh, we believe God is leading us that way. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for us, then we'll, we'll sing one song, and we'll, we'll be done. But let's pray. Our Father, you know our hearts. Our desire is not just to add another program to the bulletin. Our desire is not to add something else that we can brag about to other churches and pastors and say, we do this, we do that, and the other thing. We, Lord, our, our heart is about providing smaller environments where your people can connect and love one another and support one another and where the stranger, the newcomer, the outsider can feel welcomed. I just think of the church in Jerusalem, the Christians there, and how they embrace people of different color and culture and different opinions and, and different social strata. And I just pray, God, that you would make us that kind of people. And uh, may we do it because of, of who you are, the God of love and grace. And you are, you are good to us in that you've sent Jesus uh, to rescue us. And we, we, we love you for that. We love him. And we offer this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to thank you all for being with us uh, this morning. And um, if you're not involved in a life group, I encourage you to be involved in one or maybe even host one or lead one. We always need, we always need help in that. Um, but one thing I will say that uh, Christianity is never, never meant to be experienced in isolation. 
And maybe you're feeling, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you're struggling uh, in, your, in your spiritual life. Maybe you're a brand new believer and you're struggling. And it could well be because you're just too isolated. You need others around you. I certainly needed it, and I still do. And that's, that's one of the reasons, and the primary reason we're trying to expand life groups to get everybody involved, to embrace the stranger, embrace those who need community in a, in a more significant way. So hopefully you guys understand that. And uh, come back next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about the why of things. But um, if you want to, maybe it's been a great week. You need somebody to talk to. Some of our prayer team folks will be here in the front. You can come down and share and uh, they can celebrate with you. Or maybe you are struggling and you're feeling alone and you want someone to talk to. They're here for you as well. Okay. Uh, have a great day. Let me pray for us and then we're dismissed. And now, Lord, as your church once again scatters from the big meeting into the community. I pray that you would bring us back together throughout the weeks where we can love one another, support one another, embrace the stranger, and together grow to be more like Jesus, that the world might see what love and grace really is about. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. See you next week.